Over the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at the Christmas story from the different perspectives of the Gospel writers. Matthew spent most of his time writing about Joseph. Uh, You may remember Joseph was having trouble with this idea or this news that Mary was pregnant. Uh, He knew he wasn't the father. And so that left him with this sickening thought that Mary had been unfaithful to him. Well, the Scripture tells us that his plan, Joseph's plan, was to divorce her. And yet, you know, God had another plan than that. An angel visited Joseph and confirmed to him that this was the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's probably the only way that Joseph could have been convinced of that. Matthew chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 says, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, maybe you remember from last week what the name Jesus means. It means the Lord is salvation, and truly He is the only Savior of the world. That brings us then to to Luke's Gospel. We looked at that last week. And Luke's Gospel actually gives to us more details of the birth of Jesus than any of the other Gospels. I I don't know if this is true of you, but certainly true of me. If I am to sit down and read the, the, the Christmas story to my family, most often I will go to Luke's Gospel. While Matthew focuses more on Joseph, it seems that Luke's writings focuses more on Mary. She was highly favored by God, this the Scripture says. She, above every other woman, was chosen to be the mother of God's dear Son. And certainly, it wasn't an easy journey for her, but she endured. And her attitude was amazing. She said, Be it done to me according to your word. In other words, she's saying, Whatever you want me to do, God, that's what I will do. And we talked about the word lordship last week, just as Mary was willing to bow the knee to God and do what He wanted her to do, so we too need to bow our knee to the Heavenly Father and say to Him, not my will, but Your will be done. Now that brings us to the Gospel of John, which we'll look at today. John's account of the Christmas story is way different than Matthew's or Luke's. Joseph and Mary are not even mentioned in John's account. Nor does he mention Bethlehem. Nor does he mention the angels or the shepherds. There is no mention of the wise men in John's account. His account of the Christmas story is unique in that it goes all the way back to the very beginning. Let me read that to you. And if you have your Bibles, you'll want to follow along with me. John chapter 1 is where we are at this morning. Chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 
Skipping over to verse 9, reading through verse 18. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. This passage kind of reminds me of what my Christmas stocking is like. You know, it's stuffed full of goodies. I wish you could see it on on a Christmas morning. Cindy can put all kinds of practical things in in that stocking. She'll put gum in there and mints maybe. She's liable to have a box of of 22 shells in there. Maybe a sonic gift card. She may put some socks in there, some t-shirts, a pair of gloves. She can stuff more goodies into that stocking than what you think could possibly be put in there. And that's kind of what I see here in John's writing as he starts his gospel story, in his opening remarks, he has one nugget of truth after another. And if we could compare it to a Christmas stocking, we could say it this way, his writing is just stuffed full and it's overflowing of nuggets of truth. But there's one big difference here. Every nugget of truth that John shares with us, it's more than just practical stuff. This is foundational stuff for our faith. These are some of the pillars upon which our life is built. And the first nugget of truth that I want to share with you this morning is simply this. Jesus is eternal. There is no beginning and there is no end. Jesus. We can, in fact, go all the way back to the very beginning of time when the world was created, and we could say it this way, Jesus even preceded that. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 says, The earth was formless and void, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep. And we could say it this way, Jesus was there even when that was the case. Before the world was formed, before the seas were formed, Jesus was there. There is no point upon which we can put our finger and say, that's when Jesus came into existence. No, He has always 
been in existence. And that's very hard for our minds to get a handle on. You've heard the phrase, older than dirt. (laughs) And sometimes we may use that in reference to a person just to give them a hard time about their age. I'm looking down here at Don Miller and I could say... Don's older than dirt. And you would know what I'm saying. I'm saying Don's a pretty old guy. But I can honestly say and respectfully say Jesus is older than dirt. Because He was in existence before dirt was created. He was in existence before the world was put in place. And He will be here long after the world has been done away with. He is the everlasting One. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Meaning that He is the beginning and the end. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He does not grow old and weary. He is not limited by the clock or by the calendar. We are though, aren't we? We have a birth date and we have a death date. It's been almost a year and a half now since my dad passed away. And I have to tell you, there are not many days that go by that at least at one point during the day that I don't think of him. And so many times that I I would like to just get on the phone and call him and talk to him, but I can't do that because he's gone. This this last week would have been one of those times. I I was able to shoot a deer this last week, and, and he would have been one of the first guys that I would have gotten on the phone to and called him and told him about the hunt. But I can't do that now because he's gone. He and all of the rest of us are a finite people, and time has a way of catching up with each of us. But Jesus, on the other hand, is eternal. John, who wrote in in Revelation, speaks of Him in this way, as the One who is, and the One who was, and the One who is to come. He is eternal. He is so deserving of our praise. I heard Mark Scott preach a sermon a while back. And in that sermon, he was quoting my Old Testament history professor from Ozark, Wilbur Fields, who said this, whenever you are tempted to praise God, yield. (laughs) And we could say the same thing about Jesus. Whenever you are tempted to give praise to Jesus, yield that temptation he is worthy of all the praise that we can give him he is eternal second nugget of truth here from John's writing is simply this Jesus is God in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word what was God interesting The Jehovah's Witnesses don't like that. Now, I'm going to just call it for what it is this morning because they've changed, they've made a significant change in their translation of the Scripture. I'll read it to you from the New World Translation, which is their very own translation. This is what they have said about Jesus. In the beginning the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. 
small letter G. You can't change Scripture to your liking. Scripture is unbroken. That's the testimony of God about Scripture itself. Scripture is unbroken. And if there is anything or anyone that needs to change, it's you and me. We can't change the Scripture. Jesus is not a God. Jesus is God. Capital letter G. And this point is emphasized more than once. Right here in John chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus is called the only begotten God. Capital letter G. In fact, this message doesn't stop with John chapter 1. It is a message that John repeats over and over again in his gospel. Jesus is God. Let me read to you John chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. But He answered them, this is Jesus speaking, My Father is working until now, and I Myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him, because He not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. You understand, this is what eventually got Jesus killed. The fact that He was claiming to be God, and the Jews couldn't handle that. Let me read to you John chapter 8, verses 56 through 59. Your father, this is Jesus speaking, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. Why did they pick up stones to throw at him? Because he was referencing himself with a name that belonged only to God. And that name was I Am. Whose name was that in the Old Testament? That was God's name. Jesus was and is God. John chapter 10, verse 30, he said, I and the Father are one. John chapter 14, verse 9, he said to Philip, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And then he had all of the miracles to back up his claims. He walked on water. You ever tried that? Can't do it, can you? Only God can walk on water. He calmed a storm. Have you ever tried to command the wind and the waves? It doesn't work, does it? Because only God can do that. He healed the blind. He multiplied the young boy's lunch to feed 5,000 people. He raised the dead to live again. Only God could do those things. Jesus is God. And that is not a message that is unique just to John in his writing. It is a message that is throughout Scripture. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, is about as plain as the nose on your face. It says, but of the Son, He says, 
Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Let that that Scripture sink into your mind for a moment. But of the Son, He, that's God, but of the Son, God says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Isn't it interesting that God calls Jesus God? He calls Him Lord, too. Matthew chapter 22, verse 44 says, The Lord, that's God, the Lord said to my Lord, Jesus, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. He is called God. He is called Lord. Keep in mind too, the prophet Isaiah called Jesus Almighty God and Everlasting Father. John 1.3 says Jesus is the creator of the universe. You, said, you, you might say, I, I thought God created the universe. He did. But so did Jesus. God and Jesus are one. Let me read again to you John chapter 1, verse 3. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Who's the Him? The Him is Jesus. Look at the context and you can see that to be true. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, For by Him, and if you look at the context, the Him is Jesus, for by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, all things were created through Him and for Him. Jesus is God. Have you ever thought about the different names and titles that were given to both Jesus and God? For instance, shepherd. Psalms 23 verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. And in John chapter 10 verse 11, Jesus said, For I am the good shepherd. How about light? Isaiah chapter 60 verse 19 refers to God as the everlasting light. Jesus said in John 8:12, "I am the light of the world." How about this? Mark chapter 2. The Pharisees were really upset with Jesus. And and this was early on in His ministry. Maybe you remember why they were so upset. It was because Jesus had said to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. And their complaint against Him was, You are blaspheming God. Only God can forgive sins. That's right. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, early on in His ministry, is making a very bold claim. He is making the claim that He has the power to forgive sins and He is, in essence, claiming to be God. And so what's all that have to do for you and me? I'll tell you. If He is God, 
and we believe that He is, then we should have the same response to Him that the Apostle Thomas had to Him in John chapter 20. Do you remember Thomas's response to Jesus after the resurrection as Jesus is standing there before Him and He is saying to Him, Behold My hands and My feet. Behold the, 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 the wound in My side. Where the, where the Spirit... Put your hand there and see that it is Me. And when Thomas beheld Jesus there, he said, My Lord and My God. And that is the same response that you and I should have to Him when we come to the recognition that Jesus is God. We should worship Him. We should give our all to Him. We should be totally committed to Him, holding nothing back. If Jesus is God, then we should be all in. None of this one foot in, one foot out. None of this half in, half out. James said, friendship with the world is hostility towards God. He wants us all in. He wants us to worship Him and to love Him with our whole heart. And so, think about these nuggets of truth that John has stuffed into his writing right from the very start of his Gospel. That Jesus is eternal and Jesus is God. And here's a third nugget of truth. Jesus became flesh. And that's why we call Him the God-man. He was and He is God and He became one of us. He took on our likeness. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw His glory Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And and I guess this is John's version of the Bethlehem story and the babe in the manger. (laughs) I mean, it's not said in those terms, but it's his Christmas story written to you and me. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, the Son of God, the Word of God, the One who is the explanation of God and the exact representation of His glory, that One left the glory of heaven and He took on human flesh. The Creator became the created. And He tabernacled among us for a while. That is exactly what the word dwelt means in the original language. It it means that He took up residence in a human body. He made His abode among us. Just as God, the Father, in the Old Testament, 
chose to take up residence in the tabernacle which was built by human hands, so too God the Son chose to take up residence in a human body and for a short while He lived among us. And while He was here, He showed us what God the Father is like. And He showed us how to live. Now, I, I want to expand on those two points for just a moment. But before I do, I want to tell you a story of something that happened to me a couple of uh, three weeks ago. I was doing a car repair at home. The back wheel bearing on the passenger side was needing replaced. And unfortunately, as I got into it, it was one of those jobs where I found one thing wrong was leading to something else that was wrong. I got into it and found that not only was the wheel bearing needing replaced, but the, the rotors on, on the passenger side on the rear was bad. The rotor and the brakes the brake pads were all chewed up, so I took the wheel off on the other side to check the rotor and the brake pads there, and it was the same story. And so now, not only am I needing to replace the wheel bearing, now the brakes and the rotors are bad, and they need repair. Well, I thought, you know, I can do this. I can do this. Maybe I was a little overconfident. <laughs> because as I got further into the job... I reached a point where I was stuck. I got the wheel bearing replaced. I got the rotors turned and repaired and I got them on. And now it was time to get the brake pads, the new brake pads on. And, and I found myself stuck. And, and yet, what was I to do? I'm in the middle of this job. The, the car is up on jacks and, and there's car parts over the, the garage floor. I'm committed to this job now. I've got to keep going. I've got to get it. And so I've, I've changed brakes I don't know how many times through the years. And, and particularly the front brakes, always when you change the brake pads to get the new brake pads on, you have to compress the piston in the caliper. And to compress that piston, you need a C-clamp. Well, I've got a C-clamp, and I put that C-clamp on that piston on the back brake, and I'm cranking on that thing. I mean, I'm cranking on it with all of my might to compress that piston, and it's stuck. It is not moving. And I, I'm thinking, okay, I'm just not strong enough here. And so I get... I get some leverage. I get a wrench and I get it on that C-clamp and I'm, I'm cranking on that wrench to, to move that piston and it's just not moving. And I'm thinking, my. Okay, I, I got a call for some help. I got a call for some help. And so I have met a fellow who started coming to our church. He's new to our church. His name is Matt McFadden. And I called him. Matt is trying to start a business as a mobile mechanic. In other words, he'll come to your place. And I'm thinking, that's what I need because I can't take this car anywhere else. And so I called Matt and I'm telling him over the phone what I'm in the middle of. And you know what? He seems to understand exactly what I'm saying. And I 
he's, he's willing to come out right then on the spot. And so he comes out and he gets down there and I'm watching over his shoulder to see how he's going to compress this, this piston. But he, doesn't, he takes that C-clamp off and, and he has a special tool and he puts that special tool there and he turns it and it screws in. I could have put that, that caliper in a vise and, and tried to press it in and it would not have pressed in because I was doing it wrong. It doesn't press, it screws. You see, when I saw the mechanic who knew what he was doing, when I saw him do it, I understood. Now with that story in mind, let me say to you two points about Jesus in the flesh. He showed us what the Father was like. You see, up until this time, all we've had was the the Scripture to read, the Old Testament prophets. And they've told us that God is love, and we've, we've understood that, but Jesus came and He lived love. And we were able to see Him love the poor and touch the leper and heal the sick and raise the dead. And because we were able to see Him we were able to understand the Father better. Just like I was able to look over the shoulder of Matt and see him do that job on my car and I could better understand then how to do it, we can better understand the Father because God the Son has come here and He has lived among us and He has showed us what the Father is like. And secondly, He has showed us how to live. Not just has He showed us what the Father is like, but He has showed us how to live. Again, a picture is worth a thousand words. When I was able to look over Matt's shoulder and see him do the job right, then I knew how to do the job. And my point is, Jesus coming here and living here and walking in our shoes, He has helped us to know better how we are to live. We can love like He loved. We can forgive like He has forgiven. He has pursued God with His whole being while He was here. And so we can see what that looks like. And we, in turn, need to pursue God with our whole being. The question is, will we? Will you? Will I? 
will we take a look at the life that Jesus lived as it's written down for us in Scripture from the pen of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. We see how He lived. He has shown us how to live. We couldn't have had that unless what John said was true and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that is John's Christmas story to us. Let's pray. God, thank You for the gift of Your Son. We better understand You now because He was here. And we have a better understanding of how we are to live because He walked in our shoes. He shows us how to live. And so Lord, help us, please. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together.